Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's all rejoice and be glad in it. This morning's scriptures will be coming from Matthew, the 27th chapter, verses 45 through 56. And it reads as such. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma tabaskin, that that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, went there, heard that, and said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reef and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone, leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yield up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who were fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the church and those, who, those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there, looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Jezebel's sons. May God add a blessing to the reading of his words. Amen. Thank you, Rembert. I appreciate it, brother. Well, church family, um, I'm thankful for this time for us to now open the Word of God and to continue in this time with our series, Behold, Ten Words of Wonder. And I'm very, very excited about today because this message, it's all about the good news. It gives us a sense of peace what we're going to hear today when we hear news of a loved one passing away that knew Christ. It gives us a sense of peace knowing that no matter what we face in this life, if we are a follower of Jesus, there is a promise of what is to come. It's because of the good news of Jesus and what He has done that we can celebrate and even cry out in here, praise the Father, praise the Son, Praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. I don't know about you, but I love that song. And I'm so thankful that we can proclaim that because of what Jesus has done. 
Hey, I want to bring your attention to something before we move into our sermon. I mentioned at the beginning about the Lottie Moon. This is typically a time if we were passing our plate, taking up our offering for our time of worship and giving, that we would do so. So if you want to do that, you can hand that in on the way out today, or you can go to homesavenue.com forward slash give, and you can give via that way, especially for those of you who are at home. We miss you, by the way, and I hope we'll see you soon. We're going to continue in our series today. And in this series, Behold, Ten Words of Wonder. You see the, the ten words that are here laid out before you on the stage. And, and it, this is a, a wonderful time for us to look at and celebrate. And the whole purpose of why we are here, the whole purpose of why we are looking at this passage can be found starting out in Luke 2.10, which says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. We've been looking here, if you haven't been with us last week, we started this three-week series. You're right here in the middle of it. We, we looked at this subject matter of fear not. And Pastor Walter preached on that, and he did an amazing job with that. And so you can go back and listen to it on our website so you can hear about what it means for those who are in Christ to not have to fear because of what Jesus has done. But today we specifically look at this matter of good news. And I've entitled the message, Behold Good News. Looking at this matter, this subject, why good news? After telling these shepherds to fear not, the angel says, Behold, I bring you good news. What is that good news? The good news is that the long-awaited Messiah is there, born that night in Bethlehem. The angel is there to proclaim it, to be a herald. That's why Hark the herald angels sing. They were there to herald the good news that the Savior had been born. We know, looking at God's Word, we see the beauty of the Old Testament prophesying to the new and what is to come. We know that the prophet Micah, he would say in chapter 5, verse 2 of his book, but you, you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. We see here this direct prophecy from the prophet Micah that this Messiah would come. He would be born there in Bethlehem. Kind of a place that no one would expect. Little old Bethlehem. And the beauty of that is this moment of this heralding of this good news is this moment of silence now ended. This moment when we turn from the... If you open your Bibles and you turn from the Old Testament to the New, it's a quick turn of a page. Yet that turning of that page is 400 years of silence from God to the people until that divine moment where the angels herald the good news. They hailed it to them. They proclaim what has happened. They proclaim that the Messiah has been born. These angels proclaiming to ordinary shepherds. People that did not matter in that part of society. All they were there for were to shepherd the sheep. Dirty old shepherds. Yet they're the one that God chooses to come and proclaim the good news to. For some of you here today that maybe were here back in March, you're, you're, or you watched it online back in March, and in the midst of all the chaos that has been 2020, you may not even remember. But back in March, we looked at the passage that we're going to reference today, that we're going to study. 
We looked at it because it was leading us up to Easter with the cross of Christ. We're going to look at this today because when we see the angel say, Behold, good news, yes, it is the good news that the Messiah has been born. But ultimately, the good news of the gospel, that's what that word means, gospel means good news. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus would come, born of a virgin, beautiful babe, but he would wake up. He would wake up from being a baby every morning, crying, screaming, doing all the things like any other baby would do, yet he was still sinless. He would grow into a man who would ultimately go to Calvary's cross to die, taking God's wrath in our place, defeating sin and death and resurrecting from the grave on the third day. That is the good news. That is what we celebrate today. We know from in Genesis chapter 3, we know that sin enters the world. We know that Adam and Eve are there in perfect communion with God. Everything is great. There's no sin. God says you have dominion over the whole garden. Do what you please, but do not take of that fruit from that tree right there. And Satan, as cunning and evil and wicked as he is, slithers in in the form of a serpent. And says, surely God didn't mean what he said. God doesn't want you to be like him. He goes and does what he does so perfectly. And he twists lies. He's the father of lies. And he tells Adam and Eve, no, God doesn't want you to do that. Go ahead. It won't hurt. And in that moment, they sinned against God in disobedience. And sin enters the world. But the beauty of the gospel is already on display as we get to verse 15 of chapter 3, which says, God speaking here to the serpent and speaking with Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's commonly referred to as the Proto-Evangelium, which means first good news. Genesis 3.15 is the first good news that we see of the gospel written in Scripture. Because it tells of what will come. It tells of Satan's demise. It tells that although you do everything in your power to take him out, he is still going to crush your head. And he does so on Calvary's cross. So today, with that said, as Brother Rembrandt already read to us, we are going to look at the cross. You might say the cross at Christmas, Brian? Yes. Because it is wonderful good news that we proclaim of the Messiah's birth. But if we stop at the birth, we don't truly grasp how powerful the good news really is. We have to look at the cross and the defeat of sin and death and the resurrection from the grave of why it puts the exclamation mark on behold, I bring you good news. So with that said, I hope you've got your Bibles open to Matthew 27. He's already read it, so we won't go in through that. I'll just go verse by verse with you. But let's look at this. For us to understand the good news, the good news is good because, number one, 
of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The good news is good because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Look with me at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. This moment of Christ being there on the cross after already being betrayed by one of His followers for 30 pieces of silver, after already being mocked and laughed at, spat upon, beaten, Scripture refers to it as flogged, a cat of nine tails, pieces of glass and shards put together on a whip, ripping off His flesh. Jesus going through all of that now goes to the cross. And if you want to make a note there in your Bible, or if you're taking notes along, you can go back and read verses 32 through 30, or excuse me, 32 to 44 that points to the crucifixion, how he goes about this process. But we're looking specifically today at this moment of the death. So he's gone through all of that pain and suffering. And then right there, in that moment, we see the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Jesus has to go to this point right before he's about to die because he is to be the substitute for the sins of mankind. It's referred to as the penal substitution. He was the substitute for all of mankind's sin. He was the perfect Lamb of God, sinless. The only way that it could make things right between man and God is through this perfect, spotless Lamb. The sixth hour in Scripture that's referred to as noon. So from about noon to three in the afternoon, there's darkness over all the earth. And this is one of those three supernatural type events that happen in nature that reflects the significance of Christ's death at this time. And when it comes there to the darkness covering the earth, we can see this as a sign of God's displeasure with what is happening to His Son. And we have to make sure that we point there that this was no surprise to God Almighty. This was all part of his redemptive plan to correct what happened in Genesis 3. This is Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium. This is the moment where it hits the climax of the story. This is the moment where the good news is taking place. Where Satan's head will be crushed. Verse 46 says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is crying out there in anguish at this moment. Imagine what he's already been through. He's already nailed to the cross. And he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a tie-in if you're looking through Scripture. In Psalm 22, you can jot it down. Just put it in your notes to go back and look at it. I encourage you, read all of Psalm 22. But it's this messianic psalm. And Jesus is quoting the psalmist there. He's crying out to God and saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we have to make sure that we point out something very, very important here. In this moment, Jesus does not does not lose his divine state. He is still the divine Son of God. He is still the God-man there on that cross. If he was not and he had lost his divine status, the cross does not matter. But we know that the cross does matter. 
Because this is the Son of God hanging there on Calvary's tree. We understand that in this moment, there seems to be this abrupt kind of something going on between the Son and the Father that makes Jesus cry out to Him in this moment. He says there in that moment, my God, my God. He doesn't say my Father like we see Him cry out so many times before. We see all of this happen because in that moment, in the moment while this is taking place, Jesus is literally taking on God's wrath in the place of all mankind. He is dying in the place of man. He is fulfilling the call that God had sent him for. The whole purpose of coming down and being born of the Virgin Mary, the whole reason why the the shepherds are in in the fields and they're looking up at this glorious scene, the glory of the Lord is revealed all around them. In that moment, the good news is on display on a dark and very sad Good Friday afternoon. What is perceived to be a very dark, and sad day. But in that moment, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of perceived mankind's thought process of what is sad, something so good is happening. Something so good is happening. We see in that moment how as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake He made Him to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It is in that moment where God is putting Jesus there. Although Jesus knew no sin, we must point it out every time we reference that verse, it does not mean that Jesus Himself sinned. It means there, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. He is boring the weight of our sin. He is there as a representative, but He is still sinless. That is why the cross is so important. That is why it is so good. And He does this so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that if we do confess our sins and we repent and we call out and acknowledge Him as who He is, we are saved. We then have the righteousness of God when God looks upon us. It's as if Jesus says, Dad, they're yours. They're yours. Because my blood has covered them. We also see Paul writes in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul, when he's writing to the church at Galatia there, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 21.23 in that verse. You can jot that down as well. Here in this moment, in Christ's quotation of Psalm 22, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have to believe, knowing the Word of God, like Christ does, that those listening and those hearing would be brought to this psalm. Those hearing it, they're like, wait a minute, that sounds a little bit familiar. Well, if you read through to the end of verse 20, or excuse me, Psalm 22, it ends with this vindication of one crying out. There's beautiful vindication for all of those who know Christ because of what He suffered there on the cross. We know, as I said a moment ago, anyone who repents of their sins and confesses Christ as Lord understands why this is good news. Because Christ Jesus ultimately paid the price 
for each of us who are in Christ. For each and every one of us who are in Christ. And thanks be to God for that. Verse 47 says, And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. You see, here we see that some of these bystanders are, are seeing this crying out of Jesus and they're saying, wait, he's calling for Elijah. And maybe it could be because, because of the Eli or because the Hebrew name for Elijah is Eliehu. But we know that it's not Elijah. We know, and here's why they think that. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, 1 through 12, you can go back and read the story. We know that in that moment, Elijah does not die. He is called up alive into heaven in this whirlwind. And in that moment, that's it. That's all you see of Elijah. And so this tradition that was there, this Jewish tradition, was that they held this idea that Elijah would come and he would rescue the righteous that are in distress. So they're hearing this calling out and they're thinking, wait, he's calling out for Elijah. Let's see what happens. Because there in 48, they say, one of them at once ran and took a sponge and they filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. So they see this need and so they go and they run, they grab it to take it. And then 49 says, but the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Hold up. Don't go do that yet. Let's see what happens. Let's see if Elijah shows up. Now, we see that these bystanders are doing this. Why the sour wine? Well, the sour wine is a common drink of the day. And you have to believe Jesus there on that cross, he desperately needs something to drink. Y'all, y'all see me walk around. I don't have it today. I've got my, my normal little 30 ounce bottle, but y'all see me. I walk around like a lunk at Planet Fitness with my gallon water jug usually, because if I go without drinking for more than 30 minutes, some water, I'm already parched. I can't imagine suffering through the things that Christ has suffered through and being there on that cross, not having anything. And there in that moment being offered this sour wine. Now, these remaining bystanders, they're telling one of them, wait, to see if Elijah is coming to save him. Now, Matthew doesn't necessarily indicate whether or not Jesus partakes of it. But in John's account, we know these are synoptic gospels. So they lay out very similar stories of what is happening there on the cross. John 19.30 tells us, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So Jesus did receive it there in that moment. It's almost this moment of refreshing. It's almost as if he can't say anything else. He needs something to refresh him so that he can then speak once more. Verse 50 tells us, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. I want to point out something very powerful of verse 50. And I pray to God any opportunity he gives me to preach from this text ever for the rest of my life that I make sure that I point out this because it is so critical. It is so critical for what we see here in this passage. Jesus yielded up his spirit. Jesus yielded up his spirit. The Romans didn't kill him. The people who yelled crucify him did not kill him. Jesus suffered. Take on the wrath of God all poured out on him 
And then Jesus, still divine, yields up his spirit. Showing there again that he still has everything under control. He still has it all under control. Even in this horrific time of death and punishment, he maintains this authoritative control over his destiny. We see this even more in Luke 23, 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. What are we seeing there in that moment? Each gospel writer has something a little bit different that he contributes about what Jesus says there in that moment. But look at the beauty of it. Jesus needs something to drink. They give it to him, and then with one last cry. Because verse 50 tells us Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Jesus cried out with a loud voice. So you have to imagine, if we're putting all three of those together, Jesus cried out, It is finished! Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is good news. Going through everything that he went through, suffering through everything that he suffered, taking God's wrath in the place of Brian Ayer, taking God's wrath in the place of you. He then cries out, knowing that God's redemptive plan is complete. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And there he breathes his last. Recall with me, church, what I quoted there at the beginning of the service at our time together with looking at the Word of God for this sermon. I've quoted to you Jesus, uh, Genesis 3.15. God promises that the offspring of Eve would crush the serpent. Although he would bruise Jesus' heel, and that looks like a major bruising, doesn't it? The death of Christ on the cross. He would still defeat the serpent. He would still defeat sin and death. Because, Father, your plan is done. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. This is good news. This is good news. This gospel is good news because Christ Jesus suffered and died in our place. Christ Jesus was sinless and perfect. He deserved no death. Yet He is willing to go and suffer in the place of broken, sinful, jacked up people like Brian Ayer. Like you. He willingly goes and does that. This is good news. This is why the angels herald, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. And as we finish next week, of great joy for all the people. Praise God for this. Amen.
Secondly, quickly, following Christ's death on the cross, we see that good news is good, bringing a new reality. Good news is good, bringing a new reality. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, I typed that, misspelled it. It says, it says bringing. It's bringing. Put the G in there and call it a day. Bringing a new reality. 51a, the first part of verse 51, it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Behold, the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I love how the gospel writer John, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the same words translated to us that the angel says before the shepherds. He says, behold. He says in 51, behold, the curtain of the temple is torn. It brings this idea of wait, stop, look, marvel at it, behold it. We must behold and marvel at this amazing moment in the story of Christ's death. Because Christ has died and at the moment of that happening, the curtain is torn. Remember the curtain. The curtain was part of this innermost part of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And if you recall, the Holy of Holies was only entered once a year on the Day of Atonement by the great high priest. In fact, Hebrews 9-7 says, But into the second and only the high priest goes, he but once a year, and uh, excuse me, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. The whole purpose was on the Day of Atonement for the high priest to go in to offer this to God. Yet in the moment of Jesus' death, after He yields up His Spirit saying, it is finished, in that moment the curtain is torn in two. It is torn directly in half. It is split. It is gone. Why is it torn in two? It signifies to show the fact to all of us, anyone who would open the Word of God, that God is no longer present in that temple because of what Christ has done. It now gives us access to God, unrestricted. There no longer has to be a mediator between man and God because Christ Jesus has paid the penalty. He has finished it. It is done. That is good news. We don't, you don't have to come to me and say, Pastor Brian, I need you to go and talk to God for me about this. If you are a child of God bought by the precious blood of Jesus, you have direct access to God the Father. He says, come to me. Come who are all who are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. I will do that to you because of what my son has done for you in your place on the cross of Calvary. I might get excited today. Thank God for what has happened. This is good news for all because I can now go and cry out to God because I know my Redeemer lives. He has saved my soul and he purchased it with his own blood. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The second part of 51 says, And the earth shook and the rocks were split. This moment of Christ's death, 
creation, creation responds. Creation responds. And for anyone out there that are super scientific and they think, oh, this is just a story. I love how God lays it all out for us in his word. And then we look at legit things that are happening in the world and we see things by the, especially the fact that Palestine itself sits on a major seismic rock. So earthquakes happen. All of these things take place. It's all a testimony in that moment of the fact that Christ has conquered death and that he will resurrect. 52 tells us, The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Get out of town! Here we see the power comes and it opens the tombs of the saints who had passed away. These bodies were resurrected. The bodies were resurrected at the notion, oh my goodness, He's defeated sin and death. The bodies start to raise. Christ's death and resurrection paves the way to those who are in Christ to eventually be resurrected. You and I will be buried in a tomb somewhere in the ground, wherever it may be. If you are in Christ, one day the chief shepherd will appear, as we heard in 1 Peter 5. And when he comes back, boy, you better believe I'm going to get out of that grave. I am going to resurrect from the grave and I am going to be called up into heaven with Jesus Christ. And the new heavens and new earth will be established. That is good news. That is good news for any who are in Christ and have died. Excuse me. It is good news because for those who are in Christ, the sting of death is only temporary. Our bodies in this earth will die. We will be with the Lord in his presence immediately. And when the chief shepherd's appearing comes to take place, we will resurrect. Praise God. Lastly, this good news is good. How will you respond? The good news is good. How will you respond? 54. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. The centurion is there doing his job. He's heard all the stuff that's been said about Jesus. He's seen all that's happening. Probably by that point, he's thinking, this has just been way overplayed. Let's get this guy done. Let's finish this. I want to go home. And in that moment, seeing what has taken place, he's filled with awe and wonder. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Yes, Centurion, you're right. 
but it's not that he was. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God because he defeated sin and death. And as we know, he resurrected from the grave. What does the events of the cross, what do the things that we've heard today, what does it bring to our minds, to our hearts? What are you doing with the good news? What are you doing with it? How are you responding to the good news? Because the reality is, as we know from what was mentioned today, none of us knows the day nor the hour of how much longer we have. And I look around this room, and I assume for those that are watching online, it's usually our same typical crowd, and I pray to God that every person within the sound of my voice has a relationship with Jesus. But I'm not God, I don't know that. So I want to urge you, if you hear me right now, if you see me acting a fool on the camera, pay attention to what we've said today. Because this good news, it is only good news if you are in Christ. The reality is that our lives do end. The reality is that if we are not in Christ, we are separated from God for all eternity. And to a world outside the walls of this place and social media and all that's around, in 2020, if you say something that's not popular, you're offensive. And that can be looked at as offensive. But I will stand on it till the day I die because it is the truth of God's word. And so I say that urging you, if you do not know Jesus, don't walk out of the building. Don't turn off the video until you reach out to somebody and ask, what must I do to be saved? The Bible very clearly says, repent of your sins and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God resurrected him from the grave. Then you'll be saved. If you are a follower of Christ, and this good news has kind of just been pushed to the back burner because of how crazy 2020's been, how fearful we are about a virus, how worried we are about what's going to happen next. Remember the good news and boldly proclaim it to the people around you that you love and care for, that God has put you around. Folks, we don't have the time just to waste letting this good news not be proclaimed. I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of not seeing more people come to faith in Christ. I'm tired of not seeing a revival take place, spiritual awakening break out. One of the things that I'm going to be urging for us moving into 2021 is that we seriously get serious about crying out to God. For the people that are around us that are dying and going to hell. 
One of my prayers is that we are going to get serious about seeing the need to boldly proclaim that and not be worried about any kind of repercussions. Because time is ticking. And there are many people that need to hear this good news. The good news doesn't stop at the cross. We know that three days later, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus got up. I love the lyric that we sang right before Rembrandt got up here to read the scripture. On that morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath. All of heaven held its breath. This image of this all. On the moment that you rose, all of heaven held its breath. Because Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. Breath was taken out of that body and it came back. And he got up, truly crushing Satan's head. And there's a day coming when Satan will be thrown into the pit and Jesus will lock the door and he will never, ever come out. And we will be in the throne room proclaiming the glory of God forever. And if you're like me, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them get married. I want to see them have babies. And I long for the day to see those things, but man, I long for the day to be in the throne room crying, holy is the Lord. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. So I'm going to ask you, band, I don't want you to come up yet. I want us to seriously take a moment and reflect. We are less than two weeks out from Christmas, and if you're like me, you've got a lot of stuff you still got to buy. There's a lot of stuff going on this season, and I don't want us to get to the point where we just let this pass us by. Take a moment and behold the good news. And take a moment in your beholding of that good news and ask God the Father, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to respond? For you, it may be I need to know how to have Jesus as my Lord. For you, it may be I know the Lord, but I want to see what is next for my life, what he wants me to do. Let's take a moment. Let's reflect. We'll pray and then I'll have the band come forward. Bow your heads with me. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people.
Father, I can't thank you enough for that good news. I can't thank you enough, Lord, that the good news doesn't just stop at the birth of Christ. Lord, we must look at the entire span of his ministry, all the things of his perfect sinless life that he did pointing us to you. Eventually leading to the cross. Bearing the weight of the sin of man upon his shoulders, taking your wrath in our place. crying out to you that it is finished into your hands committing his spirit and breathing his last. Tearing the curtain of the temple in half, giving access to any who would repent of their sin and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in their heart that you resurrected them from the grave, that they are saved and they can cry out to you as Abba, Father knowing that after Jesus was taken off the cross, buried, it doesn't end there. He resurrects on the third day, crushing the head of the enemy. Knowing and trusting, Lord, that there's a day coming where the chief shepherd, King Jesus, will appear to establish the new heavens and the earth. There's a day coming for when all who are in Christ will be in the throne room crying out, worthy is the Lamb. Lord, I pray for every person in the sound of my voice in person or online listening right now. Lord, if they do not know Christ, I pray, Lord, that they would come to faith and that one day they can truly know what it means to cry out worthy is the Lamb. Father, I pray also, Lord, for those of us that know you. Maybe, Lord, we've let this, this season kind of pass us by like it does every year. Maybe this year has just been so chaotic, Lord, that we've only come to you in the midst of our needs when things are rough. Lord, maybe we're not being obedient and being open about this good news, telling people all around us to behold. Lord, I pray that we would repent and that we would boldly proclaim that truth. Father, I even repent in my times of allowing busyness to take over those things. I pray that you would use me for your glory. I pray that for every single person here. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we pray, God, that you would have your way. And we thank you for what you've done. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray.